We're American citizens. We don't belong here behind the barbed wire fence. Our Constitution says we're free. And I thought, they can't do this to us. I don't care what the president says. I'm Lisa Morehouse, and this is California Foodways. I'm traveling to every county in the state, finding stories about food, agriculture, and the people that make both possible. Today's story takes place in Modoc County, just south of the Oregon border. During the Second World War, the Tule Lake segregation camp imprisoned thousands of people of Japanese descent, most of them U.S. citizens. I joined a busload of people traveling to the former camp to find out just how much agriculture was linked to the incarceration of Japanese Americans. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Tule Lake pilgrimage. Good morning. Out the bus window, I see the sparsely populated Tule Lake Basin. It's mostly dry, dusty land and a few dramatic rock outcroppings, dotted with green, well-irrigated cropland. Growing up, nobody in the family really talked much about the camp experience except for one uncle. Inside the bus, passing a mic from person to person, are survivors of camps like Tule Lake and their children and grandchildren. It's a continuous learning experience for me, very, very emotional. When we arrive at the college campus that will be our base for the four-day pilgrimage, one of the first people I meet is Sacramento resident Richie Fua. I wanted to see the place for the last time, being my age. Fua's 98 years old and doesn't think he'll make this trip again. He says he can't remember his social security number, but he remembers this. There it says 19949. That was my number government gave me. Before the war, Fua was a farmer. So was now 93-year-old Jim Tanimoto. My father, he was a rice grower. And a peach farmer in the Sacramento Valley town of Gridley. Because Jim Tanimoto's and Richie Fua's parents were born in Japan, they faced laws that wouldn't let them own or hold long-term leases on land. Despite that, by 1940, Japanese immigrants and their American-born children grew almost 40% of the produce in California. That was before Pearl Harbor. Here's a 1940s-era film from the War Relocation Authority. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, our West Coast became a potential combat zone. Resentment and hysteria grew about anyone of Japanese origin, even though most were American citizens. But no one knew what would happen among this concentrated population if Japanese forces should try to invade our shores. So all coastal Japanese Americans were ordered onto so-called relocation camps. Evacuation. More than 100,000 men, women, and children, all of Japanese ancestry, removed from their homes in the Pacific Coast state to wartime communities established in out-of-the-way places. Two-thirds of the evacuees are American citizens by right of birth. The rest are their Japanese-born parents and grandparents. We was uh, forced to evacuate in July of 1942, and our first crop of peaches was ready to harvest about a week later. 
Luckily, the Tanamoto's neighbors promised to look after their crops, and the family shipped out to the Tule Lake camp. As a high school kid, Tanamoto had hunted for deer up in the Tule Lake Basin. But when he got off the train with hundreds of others, he saw a landscape dominated by blocks of wooden barracks covered in black tar paper. There was rows and rows and rows of these buildings. You know, we were in, inside the barbed wire fence and the armed guard towers, I might get shot. Hey, I'm an American citizen. Now, I'm the one that's being hunted. Tanamoto and many other once successful farm owners were about to become field workers for the U.S. government. So I first want to say I'm very honored to be able to bring you around the camp. On the pilgrimage, those of us on a tour of the former campsite have to imagine those rows of barracks long since torn down or moved. I know I had a question about the farming in the area, so I'll talk a little about that. But our guide points out the few remaining buildings and the huge swaths of farmland, once worked by over a 1,000 Tule Lake prisoners. Most earned $12 a month. Uh, But, you know, potatoes, carrots, any kind of camp food that had to be stored here, that's what those main storage facilities were for off to our right. Agriculture was central to the development of the camps. Many of the new War Relocation Authority administrators came right from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Camp locations were often chosen for their existing government irrigation projects or agricultural potential. The government's intention was to improve ag land for use after the war. On the pilgrimage, I talk with people who were imprisoned here, who remember the food grown in the fields and served for dinner. Winter crops, uh, cabbage, rutabakers. Rutabakers? I don't think anybody liked them. Turnips, white long radishes for one thing. Daikon? Daikon, yeah. Camp had a hog farm and the chicken farms, so we raised all the barleys and oats. All 10 incarceration camps had working ag programs, but Tule Lakes was different. Despite the dust, snow, and wind, and a short growing season, the farm was on former lake bed. The rich soil and the expertise of the Japanese-American workers produced nearly 30 vegetable crops, plus hogs and chickens, enough to supply mess halls at Tule Lake and other camps. Yeah, they, you know, they knew how to grow things. To keep some semblance of normalcy, families tried to create special meals. It helped that Lucille Hitomi's brother worked at the camp slaughterhouse. I don't know if this was legal, but sometimes he would bring bits of meat home. And my mother had, she brought to camp a hot plate and a, a frying pan. And then she'd cook the meat in the barrack. Instead of joining hundreds of others in the mess hall. I guess it was more like home. Camp farms were supposed to feed the Japanese-American incarcerees, but administrators took produce, grain, and hay, harvested by prison labor, and sold it on the open market, over two million pounds of it over four years from Tule Lake alone. What's more, one year after ordering Japanese-Americans out of their homes, the government made every adult in every camp fill out a questionnaire. Writer and historian Barbara Takei. This outrageous questionnaire was used to separate the so-called loyal from the disloyal. 
Jim Tanamoto remembers two questions caused the most confusion and anger. Number 27 asked a person's willingness to join the armed forces. 28 was the one that was really, it was sort of a, like a trick question. You can take it several ways. Would you cut your ties with Japan and the emperor? Well, I'm an American citizen and a Gridley farm boy. I have no ties with Japan or the emperor. So how was I to answer this question? Tanimoto and the other young men in his area of camp refused to answer and got arrested and jailed in nearby towns. I stood on my constitutional right. They can't do this to us. Additional fences and guard towers went up, and anyone in the whole camp system who didn't give the right answers was sent to the renamed Tule Lake Segregation Center. This was in the 1940s, two decades before leaders like Cesar Chavez and Martin Luther King Jr. Here's Barbara Takei. Post-civil rights movement, we realize that the right to protest is a precious American right. Um, it was something that people who were imprisoned in Tule Lake exercised. And because of that, they were punished. By fall of 1943, Tule Lake ballooned to nearly 19,000 people, most of them labeled troublemakers. Rations were slimmed, farm workers were pressured to produce, and camp got tense. When a truck accident injured nearly 30 field workers, killing one, workers went on strike. After administrators brought in Japanese Americans from other camps to finish the harvest, more protest erupted around camp. And that's what caused the uh, camp director to call in uh, a battalion with the tanks rolling in and uh, the camp was shut down. Within days, the director declared martial law. This began two tumultuous years at Tule Lake and ended large-scale farming there. Tule Lake Segregation Center closed in the spring of 1946, six months after the war ended. 98-year-old Richi Fuwa remembers that the farmland he and other Japanese-Americans improved got parceled off to veterans returning from war. So the, when the soldiers came back and the, they wanted a farm where they could homestead that place. I kind of joked, was any of that land offered to him? <laughs> no. <laughs> Some former incarcerees returned home and eventually rebuilt successful farming businesses, not Richifua. His farm was overgrown, all the equipment stolen. There's no way to express that feeling when you see the place like that. By 1960, the number of Japanese-American farmers dropped to a quarter of their pre-war presence. It's impossible to measure all the losses to Japanese-Americans, to California, to the whole country. But Barbara Takei says, especially now, we must remember... How easily people, because of fear and anger, lose sight of our important national values of justice and rule of law. Which she says we're seeing today with Muslim Americans, refugees, and immigrants. As though demonizing other people is going to solve our problems. All we have to do, she says, is look at World War II incarceration of Japanese Americans to see that's not true. 
That's it for this episode of California Foodways. The story was reported and produced by me, Lisa Morehouse. It originally aired on KQED's California Report magazine, KCRW's Good Food, and PRI's The World. Our theme music is by Takanobu. Ariel Plotnik and Marisol Medina Cadena produced this episode. We receive support from FERN, the Food and Environment Reporting Network, and from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. You can learn more at calhum.org. Subscribe to California Foodways on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow CA Foodways on social media and visit our website, californiafoodways.com. <laughs>